0: G'day and welcome to Paddock Chat, a West Midlands Group original podcast created to keep local growers in the loop without having to leave the paddock. I'm Simon Kruger, the comms officer at the West Midlands Group. Welcome to the second episode in our collaboration series focusing on precision ag and mental wellbeing in partnership with the Society of Precision Agriculture Australia and Mallee Sustainable Farming. Farmer and consultant Felicity Turner joins Mallee Sustainable Farming's Tanya Morgan, providing an insight into her work in supporting farmers in the Mallee and Upper South East regions of South Australia in relation to integrating Precision Ag systems into farming operations. Felicity shares her experiences in working with farming families, including an exploration of site-specific management and the role of Precision Ag in helping farmers and producers make informed decisions and to guide them in strategic management practices. There's certainly plenty of excellent tips and rich discussion in this episode, so I really hope you get some great pointers from this second episode. PA as a tool for better farm decisions. Enjoy.
1: Hello and welcome to the MSF podcast. I'm Tanya Morgan and today's program is brought to you by the FRRR Future Drought Fund and SPA. The guest on our show is Precision Ag Consultant and Farmer Felicity Turner and today's topic is PA as a tool for better farm decisions. Welcome Felicity. Thanks Tanya, thanks for having me. We're focusing on precision ag systems in farming operations today, and Felicity's going to share her experience working with farming families, including the role of PA in helping to guide and make informed decisions. So, Flick, tell us about your journey into PA. What got you started?
2: Site-specific management had always interested me. I finished full-time work uh, when I had uh, had a couple of children, and I was probably looking for a little bit of a challenge, as if uh, parenting wasn't enough. But at the time, uh, I knew a local farmer um, out of Meningi with a yield monitor, and Swan Brothers, the local spreader contractors, had a variable rate capacity on one of their spreaders. And so I guess we, we just went from there. So Initially, there were a lot of frustrations. There was a lot of issues with compatibility between machinery and between machinery systems. But yeah, eventually we got to, got that farmer doing variable rate applications based on yield data. So. I guess from there it was an onwards journey. Like I said, that site-specific management always interested me and still does today, even on their own. I think we see that a lot. Farmers see other
1: farmers starting Precision Ag or they look over the fence and they see what other people are doing or they've got some capacity on some machinery, but it's not always easy to get the application right. How do you see farmers adopting Precision Ag, given some of the difficulties that they
2: have with understanding the machinery and how to make it work? Again, initially, the biggest, I guess, spike on those early days was when there was an increase in fertiliser prices. Yeah. So similar to today, I think DAP went from $500 a tonne to $1,200 a tonne. It was either 06 or 08 around there somewhere. Yields were probably back a bit and everyone was trying to save a bit of money. I guess that nutrient replacement was probably the first big main area of business. The challenge with that was that a lot of farmers only had two bins and In the landscapes that we were dealing with, where we had sandy rises and we had heavier flats, the sandy rises, even though they required less phosphorus, actually required more nitrogen. And so unless we had that third bin to offset it, you drop your DAP, you drop your phosphorus rate by half, you are dropping your nitrogen by half. And that had some real implications on early crop growth. So without sort of those three bins that technology probably was held back a bit. and So it's just taken time as farmers upgrade their machinery. And I guess that's always in the back of your mind when you're upgrading machinery. Is this going to be sufficient or do I need to go for something a bit better so that I can potentially implement things in the future? But I guess at the end of the day, with the whole Precision Ag journey, I think you need to be, or with all technology, you need to be really clear on what your output is going to be and not just get something for the sake of getting it.
1: Yeah, that fertiliser pricing really drove that initial uptake in precision ag. What other aspects of precision ag do you
2: see now? Yeah, so more recently, the soil sensing has been a huge game changer, both for pH and and probably clay modification are the other two main areas. There's also a lot of people are utilising imagery for nutrient application just to try and treat different areas of their farm differently. But the biggest game changer that I've actually seen has been in in high value crops, particularly in, in horticulture and around the capacity to manage water across different landscapes. So that's probably actually been the biggest game changer is in other high value industries.
1: Your advice for people wanting to get started,
2: how do you make it part of your program? So I think the key thing, Tanya, is actually knowing how your farm varies and what's driving that variability. So I guess at the end of the day, different areas across the farm have different water holding capacities and actually knowing how all those different areas and identifying them is a really good start. From there, you can actually try and work out areas that should be performing, that have got the capacity to hold water and and hold nutrients. And if they're not performing, then you can start to actually delve in and, and interrogate why that's occurring and start to try and determine what's going on. But I think, yeah, understanding land capacity And potential production is key to that whole process. Whenever you're entering into a Precision Act program, ground truthing is absolutely paramount. You know, you can't just sit there and go and use a technology and not actually go out in the paddock and see what's happening. And I think some of the challenges have been that farmers are very time poor and they want a tool that can just give them the answer straight away. And unfortunately, it's not that simple. You really need to spend time and effort actually working out what's going on in the field. The other thing is, and I've alluded to it slightly before, is be clear on the outcome that you want and then try to identify the tools or specific things that you need to achieve that. You know, like all technology, tech for tech's sake isn't useful. You need to have a really clear goal of what you want to achieve and then chase the technologies that are going to assist you in that process. Some of the
1: farmers we speak to have got a whole pile of data but not really sure what to do with it. So they're just putting it in the filing cabinet for now and hoping that it be useful down the track. So, yeah, what are your thoughts
2: around that sort of approach? Yeah, I think that is really useful. And sometimes nowadays a lot of the headers come with their own software and you can actually look at your maps and, and download historical yield maps. And I think if you can try and do that, you might sit there and go, oh, hang on a minute, this season's panning out like 2012. What were my yields? What were the areas that performed in 2012 well, they're the areas that I need to feed a bit more because I might be having a cracking season and I really want to utilise that. And alternatively, it might be like, well, this is like a really dry season. What are the areas that hate off first in that dry season? I'll back off my inputs. So even though they're just sitting there Farmers remember dates and years and they have so much knowledge to bring to the table when it comes to this. And even with ground truthing, you, you show a farmer a map and a lot of them can actually just draw lines on mm, the areas that they that's think. That's right. Yep. So there is so much knowledge there. It's actually just getting that knowledge into a spatial format that can then actually be put into a machine. So even drawing on Google Earth, that thing has got capacity to go into a machine not always easily but you can do that. So I think maintaining and keeping that data safe is really important because even though you might not think at the moment that it's relevant, um, there will be opportunities to, to utilise it in the future. Well,
1: that's really great to know. And I, and I noticed you mentioned Google Earth there. How useful are some of the online applications for capturing satellite NDVI and things like
2: that? Are they things that we should be looking at? Yeah, look, at the moment, NDVI, unless you go subscription-based, is probably on about a 10 metre grid. But the thing I like people to think about is what's your management unit? So if you've got a 30-metre boom spray, a 10-metre grid is more than enough because you've got three widths mm. on that. And you might have a 10 or 12-metre front. So I guess when you're thinking about and going down to 2-metre pixel size can be really good, especially in intensive industries. It can help you identify potential hot spots for rust and things like that. But at the end of the day, your management area is the size of machinery. So if you've got a 30-metre boom spray, that's your management unit. And the same with your air seeder width and harvester width. So harvester width is the width that you're going to be actually potentially able to capture any changes. And then your boom spray and your seeder are then your management zones. So going anything smaller than that, apart from high-level monitoring in a broadacre system you're not going to be able to manage to a two, two pixel size. So I think the free-to-air stuff out there at the moment can be really useful.
1: And that's great for people that maybe don't have some of those monitoring systems on their machinery.
2: So there is still some information that they can capture that's just free. Yeah, absolutely. Just have a look at it and see what's happening. And, you know, you can sit there and visually just look at how the growth changes over time. Yep, great to know. Okay,
1: so getting on to the next question. What's on your PA
2: wish list? What do you see as the next big game changer? I guess now you mentioned before that I'm probably doing a little bit of farming as well, and we've got some cropping but also quite a bit of grazing. The big thing for me is virtual fencing and livestock, particularly sheep, and I think if we could get access to that technology and implement that, the opportunities to increase stocking rates while maintaining land condition are massive, and I think we could probably increase our stocking rate on our farm by and I'm conservatively going to say 30%, and I think it could actually be higher. Wow. So the, the implications on our business for that would be massive. So I think that's probably, in my mind, the next big game changer. I think at the moment we've got the capacity to, to rate across land type. We can sit there and try and get poor-performing country up to a higher level with regards to some soil amelioration, things like that. But the virtual fencing, I think, is the real biggie.
1: Yeah, a lot of people are really hanging out for that. An absolute game changer for maintaining ground cover in the mallee and getting the most out of your grazing system. In terms
2: of resources, where do we go for some good advice? Where do we start? There's so much out there. You've got Ask Google, Twitter is always good, but I think sometimes the most valuable thing you can do is speak to other farmers. A lot of farmers are are really willing to share what they've done, what's worked and what hasn't. And I think trying to speak to some of your neighbours if they look like they're doing bits and pieces or just have a chat at a field day and try and find out what other farmers are doing and they'll tell you quite openly the positives and the negatives, what's worked and what hasn't, and I think really that's probably one of the best things that you can do.
1: Really great advice. And joining an organisation such as SPA that is Australasia's leading independent advocate and facilitator for increased research extension and adoption of precision agriculture. That really gets you together with a core group of farmers and there's some great resources there as well. That wraps up our chat today, Flick. Thanks very much for coming into the office and joining us. It's been really great to pick your brain on precision ag. I'm sure we'll get you on here again sometime. Thanks, Tanya. Good to see you. Thanks for joining us.
0: That brings us to the end of this Paddock Chat episode. We really hope you've enjoyed the conversation between MSF's Tanya Morgan and farmer and consultant Felicity Turner and that you've been able to pick up some useful precision ag and strategic site-specific management tips and useful information for your farming system. Be sure to look out for the next episode in the series focusing on farmer Tim Page and wellness coach Tanya Lehman of the Vocal Locals Project, an I Farm Well initiative aiming at both strengthening the well-being of farmers and shifting the persistent social norm of farmers keeping their worries to themselves. If you're enjoying our content, be sure to subscribe to Paddock Chat and let us know your thoughts via our social media channels. You can get in touch with us via Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or feel free to shoot us an email at comms at As usual, I'd like to thank our sponsors and members without whom this would not be possible. See you next time for more paddock chat. Local knowledge from a paddock near you. The information provided in this podcast is general in nature and may not be wholly appropriate for your purposes or situation. We recommend that you seek appropriate professional advice before implementing actions based on the information provided in this podcast.